This morning, we're going to be talking about being a friend of God. A friend of God. There are very few times in the Old Testament where a particular person is referred to as being a friend of God or seem to have a relationship of, of being a friend of God. We know that God spoke through prophets, through through mighty men, but most of them didn't seem to have a relationship that you would consider to be friend. We know that at the very beginning of time, God created Adam and, and Eve, and the Bible talks about the voice of God walking with them in the, the cool of the day. But when sin came into the picture, that relationship was broken. There wasn't that talking, that friendship, that, that same relationship that they had previously. The Bible talks about in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8, it says, But thou, Israel, my, uh, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. God himself referred to Abraham as being his friend. Why was Abraham his friend? Why? Well, Abraham obeyed God to the letter and without question. Hebrews 11 and verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. He didn't understand what he was doing. He didn't understand where he was going. He didn't understand what um, the reason why God was asking him to do this. But he was faithful. He obeyed. He knew the voice of God and that was enough. He was going to obey what God asked him to do. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He didn't look to what was around him. He didn't look to the civilization that was around him. He didn't look to what he had, but he looked to what God wanted him to do. And he was willing to do what God had asked him to do. A bit further down in Hebrews 11 and verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall your seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham wanted to please God so much that nothing was too difficult for him to do to please him. He had a promise from God that it was going to be through his son that There was going to be a a multitude of people that was going to come from his womb, but it was only going to be through this son Isaac that that promise was going to be fulfilled. And then God said, sacrifice him to me. He was willing to do whatever it took, whatever God asked him to do, even if it didn't make sense. Nothing was too difficult. Leaving his country and family to live in a strange place, check. Sacrificing his only son to God, check. Whatever God asked, Abraham was willing and hasty to do. When God asked him to sacrifice his son, he went to do it as early as he could the next morning. Genesis 22 and verse 1 goes through that process and talks about how it all happened. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, 
Behold, here I am. He responded to God. He talked with God and he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and get into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell you of. This was something that was unheard of. This was something that God had never asked anyone to do. This was the sort of thing that people did in sacrifice to idols, and which, you know, that, that, that's the thing that devils love and Satan loves, but not God. And so God was asking him to do something incredibly insane to any normal way of thinking. But what does the next verse say? And Abraham rose up early in the morning. He didn't hesitate. He didn't say, God, what are you doing? He didn't argue with God. He didn't resist God. He didn't try to get out of it, but he obeyed God to the letter. Rose up early in the morning, sat on his ass, took two young men with him, and Isaac, his son, claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. This is the sort of attitude that will make us friends with God. Another friend of God in the Old Testament is Moses. Exodus 33 and verse 9. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended the, and the, stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. This was a time of reconsecration for the children of Israel. They had sinned. They had gone away from God, but now was the time to come back to God again. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaks unto his friend. And Moses was always faithful and obedient to God. He never lifted himself up. He wasn't proud. And he interceded for the children of Israel many times after their frequent sin because God wanted, caused God to want to destroy them again and again. Moses always turned to God whenever there was a problem and never tried to solve problems in his own strength. He realized that without God, he was nothing and unable to do what God had called him to do, which was to lead the children of Israel. That's the sort of attitude that will make us friends of God. So what can we call being friends with God in the New Testament? Some people say, Jesus and me, we're like this. We're, we're, you know, we're all the same. We're walking in the same direction. We're, you know, we're good. We're good. And they use that as an excuse to do whatever they want to do. Supposedly because of their strong relationship with Jesus. Supposedly because, you know, they're so close to God that, you know, they would never get off the wrong track. That, you know, they're so close to God that, you know... I, I'm, I'm, I'm one and, you know, I'm working, always working and walking in the way that, that God wants me to. So, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be right in what I choose to do. The highest relationship on this earth is the marriage relationship between one man and one woman. It's an incredibly powerful bond and an intimate relationship. Sorry, an incredibly powerful bond and an intimate relationship can be continually nurtured in this marriage relationship. But any marriage relationship is broken and stretched to the very limits by unfaithfulness. When the husband or the wife is unfaithful to their partner, it's something that breaks. It's something that 
drives a wedge in between that relationship. No matter how strong the relationship is, because there is a breaking of the vows. There's a breaking of what they came together for in the first place. The fundamental reason that the relationship is in place in the first place is that they commit themselves to each other. They commit themselves. And so anything outside of that is a breaking of that relationship. Jesus calls us friends in the, in the scripture. John chapter 15 and verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. There are promises that come to us when we follow Jesus, when we are his friend. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant doesn't know what his Lord does. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. There's a relationship, there's a, a, a talking, there's a communication between a friend of Jesus You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus calls us friends, but there's a condition to friendship with Jesus. We need to keep his commandments, what he wants us to do. Otherwise, we're not his friends. You know, Sister Katerina didn't know what I was going to be preaching this morning. But the only thing she exhorted on was she talked about the promises of God. She talked about miracles. She talked about um, God doing things for us. But she said it takes submission. It takes obedience to to have that relationship, to, to, to have the relationship where God will do things for us. We need to give his commandments what he wants us to do otherwise. We're not his friends. Have a think about that. You know, we can't just do what we want to do and expect to be Jesus' friend. We can't just do our own thing. We can't just have our own thoughts and go our own paths and expect to be Jesus' friend. So many times we act like children. And, you know, Jesus said, I want you to do this. I want you to follow this. I want you to to obey me in this area, and we say, oh, I want to do this first. You know, a child comes and does that. child says, you know, I want to do this first. No, I've asked you to do this. Do this. But we say, no, no, I want to do what I want to do. That's not being a friend of God. That's not being in a close relationship with God. That's just being carnal. That's just being doing what we want to do ourselves. Doing whatever he commands us to do is the most important part of the friendship relationship with Jesus. The church is likened to the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in every thing. The Bible 
likens our relationship with God, our obedience, our submission, our marriage vows with Him as being like in a marriage. Part of these marriage vows, this intimate relationship with Jesus, is our obedience. It's not a popular word nowadays. In fact, people generally tend to avoid it. People feel uncomfortable when when people start talking about obedience and submission. It's not a common thing. People don't like to put down themselves. People don't like to submit themselves. People don't like to allow themselves to not be in control. And so they fight against it. They resist it. They do anything but submit. Abraham was obedient. Moses was obedient. And they were both called the friends of God. And when we have that friendship with Jesus, he hears us when we pray. There are benefits. There are things that happen. Luke chapter 11 and verse 5 says, And he said unto them, this is Jesus talking to, I think, the multitude at that time, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give you. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks, receives. And he that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Jesus was referring, was, was likening a relationship between God and his children as being like a friend and going and asking a friend, oh, uh, I, I need this. I have this desperate need for bread. A friend has come. I've got nothing to pour before him. I've got this, this desperate need and I, I'm, I'm going to come and I'm going to ask you. But the friend doesn't doesn't say yes straight away, but because this person keeps knocking, because they keep asking, because they keep seeking for what they desperately need, then there is an answer. Then he's not going to give him give his children something else that that they don't really need. But God has has said that he's going to provide our needs, the things that we need when we go to him, when we ask him. Maybe not the first time. Maybe not the second time, but when we keep asking, He will provide our needs because of the relationship that we have with Him. When we're in that friendship relationship with Jesus, He expects us to keep asking and knocking for the things that we, not for the things that we want, but the things that we need, especially for the Holy Ghost. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, if you haven't spoken in tongues, then you need to keep asking. You need to keep seeking. You need to keep going. You need to keep being at the altar. You need to keep praying about it because it's a promise from God. And He's not going to give you something else in exchange. He's going to give what you need. 
The Bible talks about the importunity of the friend asking for loaves. What does that word importunity mean? It means persistence in asking over and over and over again until he got what he desperately needed. And God will supply all of our needs when we keep asking and we don't give up. But it's all about the relationship. It's all about whether we're following him. It's all about whether we're in that friendship relationship with Jesus. We can't be friends with Jesus and friends with the world as well. James chapter 4 and verse 1 says, From where come wars and fightings among you? He's talking about people in the church. Wars and fightings between people in the church. Come they not, hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. We're talking about Christians acting carnally. Christians not following Jesus, not being in the relationship with Jesus that they should be. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. You're only asking because you want to be more carnal. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. You're the friend of the world and you can't be a friend of God. You're actually the enemy of God. Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusters, lusters to envy, but he gives more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. When we submit ourselves to God, when we obey him, then he starts to change us. He starts to make us more like him. We can start to come in to that friendship relationship with Jesus and the things of this earth won't matter so much. They won't, they, we won't want to be friends with the world anymore. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. This is the, the attitude that we should have when we realize we're on the wrong path, when we realize we're doing the wrong thing. We don't excuse ourselves, but we come before him and we make it right. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Don't be proud about what you're doing. Don't try to justify what you're doing in yourself, but humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. First John 2 and 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. It's about that relationship. It's about that friendship with God. See, the world's value system is all messed up. The world's value system, uh, they basically the world values everything that God doesn't. And they, they, it's the complete opposite of God, which is why we can't be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time. Because if you're friends with the world, you don't care about the things that God thinks about because you're already bought into this, this world's value system, the, the, this value system that the people out there who don't know God value. It's good to have friends in the world that don't follow Jesus. That's one of the best ways to lead people to Jesus. 
by them seeing your continual walk, by them, by them seeing that you follow Jesus, by them asking questions about what's different about you. But the thing you need to remember is that your friends either influence you or you influence them. It doesn't work both ways. Either you are drawing them closer to God or they are drawing you closer to the world and its value system. We need to choose our worldly friends very carefully. You only need to look at King David and his family to see examples of both good and bad friends. Second Samuel chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. He had a little bit of a conscience to him. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. He was, he was sly. He was, you know, able to work in, in ways that should not be worked. And he said unto him, Why are you being the king's son lean from day to day? Will you not tell me? And Amnon, and Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. Amnon had a friend that gave him evil, worldly advice so that he could get what he wanted. No matter whether it was right or wrong to do so. He followed the advice and it worked, but it ended up completely destroying him and he lost his life. That's the kind of friend that you don't need and you should avoid. That's the kind of person you need to avoid being friends with in the world because they're not going to lead you closer to God and you're not going to, most probably not going to lead them closer to Jesus either. That's the kind of influence that leads away from God and into sin. David also had a friend when Absalom, David's son, took the throne by force. In 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 13, 30, David is fleeing from his son Absalom. And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up and had his head covered and he went barefoot and all the people that was with him covered every man his head and they went up weeping as they went up. They realized the significance of what Absalom had done. They realized that um, it was... The, the, the situation they were, they were in, they realized that evil had been done in Israel. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Ahithophel was David's counselor. And the Bible talks about him as, as being, uh, you inquire for him, and it's as though you were inquiring from God, uh, uh, with God himself. The advice that he gave was so wise and so, um, and so able to, to make an impact. And David said, Oh Lord, I pray you, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. Under whom David said, If you pass on with me, then you're going to be a burden with me. That may be because he was older that time and, and in their, their fleeing, he would have just held them up. But if you return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be your servant, O king. And as I have been your father's servant hitherto, so now I also will be thy servant. Then may you for me defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. And then a couple of verses down in, in verse 37, it says, So who shall David's friend 
came into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Further on, it talks when he came to Absalom, he was well known as being a friend of David. Second Samuel verse chapter 16 and verse 15. And Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And it came to pass when Hushai the archite, David's friend was come unto Ab- Absalom, that Hushai said unto Absalom, God save the king, God save the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this thy kindness to thy friend? Why didn't you go with your friend? And Hushai basically said, I'm going to serve you. But he had a different purpose in mind. Hushai, David's friend, was convinced of David's righteousness and that God had still given him the throne, that he stayed on David's side even when others turned against him. Even David's own trusted counsellor walked away from him, went over to the side of Absalom. Absalom seemed like he won the hearts of the people. By, by subtlety, he, he, he had won over so many of the, of, of the people of Israel. And so he took the, the, front, the throne um, by subtlety. David's friendship and heart after God, the way that he lived his life, had influenced Hushai so that Hushai knew that David was on God's side. Hushai did everything in his power to help David in his cause, and God made him instrumental in the incredibly quick downfall of Absalom, David's son. That's the kind of friend you want to have, who will stand up for righteousness and encourage you in getting closer to God. It's good to have friends in the church. Friends encourage. Friends bring closer to Jesus. But you need to understand that friends in the church either influence you or you influence them as well, especially if the person in that you're being friends with is not as close to God as they should be. What happens? But what happens if both friends are going in the same direction, influencing in the same direction? They both encourage and influence each other in a greater way towards righteousness, towards God, lifting each other up, encouraging each other in the walk and in the ways of God. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he has not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's something, there's a power that, that, that is had in two people working together, in two friends working together, in two people trying to encourage each other to follow Jesus. There is a power, there is a strength. We should be influencing each other to get closer to Jesus. That means that things like gossip and criticizing other people in the church should never be a part of the church or our friendship with anybody else in the church. Those things destroy, they don't build up. James chapter 4 and verse 11 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you that judges another? It's basically saying that if you are judging other people, if you're talking evil of other people, you're a law unto yourself. 
You're not under any law. You're not under the law of God. You're not under um, what God wants you to do. And you're outside of the will of God completely and totally. If you've been around the church for a while, you would come to realize that people are on a different or people are on different levels of following God in the church. Some people are new and they need to, to get closer to God and they need to um, move from, from being a baby in Christ to, uh, to the finished article, to being perfect. And, and it's a, a process of perfection. But there are some people in the church who have been around for a long time and they haven't allowed Jesus to work on their hearts. They haven't allowed, there's certain areas that they've closed off to him. And so being a friend with those people can have a negative impact on your own walk with God. The Apostle Paul even says as much in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then you must needs go out of the well. It's basically saying, um, if you're going to try to try, try to avoid everybody who does these sorts of things in, in this earth, then, well, you'd, you'd have to go out of the earth because there's a lot of people out there that will do these sort of things. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner with one, with such and one, no, not to eat. Don't have company with them. Don't eat with them. Don't spend time with them. The word railer, what does that mean? A railer is someone who expresses objections or criticisms in bitter, harsh, or abusive language. Railers are put in the same category of fornicators, covetous, idolaters, drunkards, and extortioners. It shows what God thinks about those who try to pull others down. If you have a friend in the church and they express objections or criticisms in bitter, harsh, or abusive language, particularly against the leadership or fellow saints in the church, then they're a railer and you shouldn't be spending time with them. You shouldn't be eating with them. It's not just their personality. It's something deeper than that. There's something that's wrong within their spirit. It's a bitterness that will spread to you and affect your walk with God the more you spend time with people that are like this. If they're talking against the pastor or the church leadership or people in the church, they're trying to influence you in the wrong direction. They're a brother or a sister that needs to be avoided because they'll influence you in the wrong way. Start praying for them, but don't spend time with them. If I could get someone to the piano, please. So the questions that I would ask you this morning is, how's your friendship with Jesus going? Is there a break in your relationship with Jesus? Are you doing the things that he's asked you to do or are you resisting? Are you just doing what you want to do yourself? Or are you putting things in place? Are you, you allowing yourself to be submitted and obedient to what he's asked you to do, to the things in his word, to, to being in a relationship with him? Are you influencing this world or are you being drawn closer to it through the friendships that you have, through the people that you hang out with? Are you a friend of Jesus or a friend of this world? You can't be both. 
Are you holding dear the, the values of this world? The things that people would say, the popular opinion of society, or are you following Jesus? Uh, do you hold his things dear? Do you hold what he loves dear to your heart and to your soul? Are you being influenced away from Jesus by other people, whether in the church or out of it? Are you praying to Jesus and not having your needs met? Could there be a reason for that? Your relationship, your friendship with Jesus might be on hold if you don't have that obedience, that underlying marriage vow of obedience of whatever he asks you to do. The only way to heaven is obedience. That's part of the marriage vows that Jesus has with the church. It's part of the conditions for being a friend of Jesus. So let's renew our vows with Jesus this morning. Let's renew our commitment with him. We want to be his friends, don't we? We want to be a friend of God. We want to be in the right place with him. We want to be able to talk to him like a friend. We don't want to let anything in this world or any other people to turn our heads in the wrong direction. It's our relationship with Jesus that's going to get us there in the end. Let's keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He started us off on this path and he wants to take us the rest of the way to that finish line. If you have the Holy Ghost this morning, or sorry, if you don't have the Holy Ghost this morning, if you need it, keep asking. Don't give up. Come again to the altar. Keep reaching out. Keep asking Him for the Holy Ghost. He has promised. It's a gift. It's something that He has promised to give us. But when you come, let it be with their relationship of obedience, in that submission to Him, because that's when He'll fill you with the Spirit, when you are doing what He asks you to do. You know, Proverbs 18 and 24 says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Let's be friends with Jesus this morning. We must show ourselves friendly. We must show that we want to be in that relationship with Him by our obedience. We have submission by saying, God, what you want, not what I want. And He will stick closer than a brother to you. Please stand this morning. I invite you to come to pray. If you need to renew that relationship with Jesus this morning, if you want to get closer to Him, This morning.